Warning, Seriously Strange covers topics that may frighten or disturb you. Viewer discretion is advised. Through online communities, whether we are aware or not, we forge a sense of stability. We become used to the people and what they post. With that stability comes a false sense of security and safety. And when those things are disrupted, so is our perception of reality itself. On Thursday, December 28, 2017, Broomfield, Colorado was quiet, as most places are in the purgatory that are the few days between Christmas and New Year. The wrapping paper from many presents is still lying around, the leftovers are in the fridge, and overall time is stagnant, and it may seem inconceivable that anything notable would occur before the New Year's Eve. In fact, this may be one of the few times of the year where worries are placed on the light-hearted issues such as parties, plans, and fireworks. For this very reason, when this tragedy hit, it was as if the city were collectively woken from a deep sleep with ice water. The panic of sudden and incomprehensible violence. Natalie Bollinger, a 19-year-old, posted on Facebook on December 13th. Though she often shared photos of herself and had a fairly typical page for someone her age, instead of solely discussing the simple and surface happenings of everyday life, Natalie used her profile as somewhat of a journal, even including paragraph updates about serious issues she was battling. Effectively, she set up a digital paper trail, almost as though she were writing a will without outrightly saying so, because the concept would be too jarring to internalize. The issue with being so active and transparent on social media turns out to be that once we want to retract information or distance ourselves, it's not always easy or even possible at all. Once access is given, it cannot always be taken back even with the best of efforts. The unfortunate reality that those who we fear the most can hide in plain sight was a truth Natalie highlighted with her update posts. On December 13th, Natalie addressed the fact that a man named Sean Schwartz had been stalking her. She detailed how she'd met him, and he seemingly spiraled into being obsessive and constantly intrusive in her life. At first, he bombarded her with messages and missed calls, and though this was concerning, it was barely a dent compared to his later harassment. He went as far as relocating to be close to her and was often dangerously close to her home, making all attempts to be noticed or at least let her know he was there and watching. Her post read as follows. Hey y'all, I have a public announcement. There's a man... Sean Schwartz. I met this man when I was young. I ran into him about two years ago. Long story short, I became friends with him. I helped him out with rides and stuff. I moved to Virginia. He drove across country to see me. Slept behind my work for weeks. When I told him I didn't want to see him anymore, he sent me hundreds of texts and calls. He parked his car in front of my house, blocking military highway for hours, laying on his horn. He was arrested. Since then, I've asked him to leave me alone, and he won't. He sent emails for over a year, close to every day, harassing me, making numerous accounts until I block him again. 
threatening my family, telling me he'll kill himself in front of me, and sending my friends and family harassing messages as well. I'm sharing this because he's posting slander about me all over Facebook. So if you receive a message, I'm sincerely sorry. Please ignore him. It only encourages him when he gets a response, much like a child. He's mentally ill and I'm trying to fix this. The picture Natalie painted was alarming because it truly did not stray from the stereotypical mentally unwell individual in, say, horror films. Sean Schwartz was depicted as an older man not in control of his emotions or logic, to the point where all self-awareness disappeared and one and only one goal existed, and that was to be close to Natalie. Between the threats toward her family and the threat of taking his own life, Natalie's life seemed to be in imminent danger. Sean Schwartz, too, was on Facebook and did not make his case any better. He often posted about Natalie, even in video format, quite constantly. The background in his videos was unnerving as the walls seemed dirty and covered with objects. A desk behind him filled with papers, bottles, and appliances that all sat crooked and seemed ready to fall. His disheveled appearance with an unkempt long beard and messy hair consistently contributed to the image of a man who was not taking care of himself, even in the most basic of ways. On December 22nd, Natalie was granted a protection order against Schwartz. A mere six days later, she was reported missing. Around 3.30 p.m. on December 28th, Natalie Bollinger's family called the police and reported her as missing. She had last been seen leaving her parents' house, and then, for 26 hours, she was off the grid. The police had no leads and no concrete idea of where she'd gone or could be, and demanded that anyone who had heard from her contact them. Unsurprisingly, Facebook blew up with activity upon finding out Natalie hadn't been seen or heard from in over a day. Many referred back to her posts about Sean Schwartz and readily accused him of being responsible for whatever had occurred to her. Ironically, the public did not even know about the text messages between Natalie and her boyfriend, Tim Beeson. If they had, Schwartz's life might have been in danger, as on Facebook he'd been deemed guilty already. In the exchange with Beeson, Natalie regularly voiced her worry about Schwartz's proximity to her and the lengths at which he seemingly went just to be nearer to her. Ten days before going missing, Natalie texted Beeson, saying, Sean walked to 120th and I-25. He said 100 plus blocks. That's literally three minutes from my house. I'm so scared. The threat Schwartz posed was so palpable that Beeson often referred to the fact that he had a loaded gun to which Natalie responded that she did as well. Beeson had also kindly and repeatedly offered to protect her via him coming to her and letting her know his door was always open for her. In fact, the day Natalie went missing, she had been texting Beeson and it appeared they were due to spend time together. But around 1 p.m., two hours before she was reported missing, she had stopped responding altogether. As soon as Schwartz was made aware of Natalie's disappearance, he began erratically posting on Facebook, sometimes even only minutes apart from his last post. 
He was receiving mass messages and comments that blamed him, and though the public had a reasonable line of thought, it remained inappropriate when at the time, there was no evidence something grim had occurred at all. This case overwhelmingly highlights that our social media mannerisms and presence, or lack thereof, can sometimes be a gauge that determines turbulence in our lives. Natalie not posting on social media created an eerie silence considering how active she typically was. However, Schwartz continued to further solidify his image as a lunatic by responding to comments, posting photos of Natalie, and even posting videos as well. While there was no record of where Natalie was, on Facebook, Schwartz was truly demonstrating how his life was so centered on Natalie that if she suddenly weren't in his life anymore, he would spiral. He adamantly continued to defend himself and insisted people shift their focus from him and onto finding Natalie instead. He went live on Facebook, clearly in distress, speaking slowly, detailing his struggle with mental health, his Asperger's diagnosis, and the money he received monthly. Understandably, the way he was being treated on social media was affecting his mental state, and perhaps the public was also slowly being shown a different side to the story. While prior accounts such as Natalie's about Schwartz painted a very threatening image, the video footage of Schwartz shows a shy, quiet man who stumbled on his words. Under the live stream, he commented saying, Go find Natalie. Stop picking on me. Stop blaming me and go find her. I spent a lot of time at the cop shop today trying to help. Cops scratched me off their list, so stop being an asshole and help find her. Natalie Bollinger deserved a much better family than what she got, but she still got a better family than I did. I can't post stuff here in YouTube because it won't let me post up screenshots. And in Facebook, if I post up screenshots for the public to see, I get a bunch of people who hate me because they were lied to, who complain and complain and complain until I'm put on another 30-day Facebook ban for posting evidence. I will not feel bad for the things that I have done since Natalie's death. I will not. On December 29th, tragically, Natalie's body was found near a wooded area near Denver. Her death was ruled a homicide. The police seemingly had no leads. Online, Schwartz continued to post to the detriment of his mental health. It is truly alarming to see the mental deterioration he continued to go through as he posted real-time updates. Each post reeked of panic, anxiety, and general hysteria, and while those emotions were not unfounded, they certainly did not convince others that he was innocent. He proceeded to post... I am stressed the fuck out. I got friends wanting info so they can defend me on Facebook. Stop. F Facebook. Go fucking find Natalie. The cops are doing their jobs, and although I don't know much except what I am told, the cops made it seem like they were still looking for her. They told me they found a body, but that they didn't know who she was. Natalie has identifying tattoos. I have had a bunch of folks tell me she is dead, then she isn't, then she is, then she isn't. Let the cops do their jobs. Help find Natalie. I have severe panic attacks just thinking about Facebook. I keep getting on Messenger, so I am not overwhelmed. 
but you guys are assholes and it's not helping. As there was no evidence placing Schwartz near Natalie or having interacted with her directly that day, the police did not have any leads to follow. While they did not arrest him, in the court of public opinion, Schwartz remained the target of harassment, to the point where he even did interviews with news sites in order to ask for advocacy. In an interview, he clarified what his relationship with Natalie was, as well as tried to dispel the idea that he was a stalker. He claimed he and Natalie were only friends, and that the reason he had traveled to see her was because she was suicidal. He added that Natalie had gotten into a car accident 24 hours after once telling him she wanted to kill herself. He alleged that his persistence was actually an effort on his part to get her help. As Schwartz shared his story, it became clear that the cut-and-dry resolution people typically feel graffitied with was not going to happen. How would I know? What happened to Natalie? What do you guys know? All I know is from Facebook Messenger, and I hate Facebook. What did Facebook Messenger say? It doesn't matter. You need to get a hold of the police and talk to them. Well, apparently you are of interest of this uh, case, so why were you of a suspected interest in this case? I was not a suspect. I was a person of interest, and I heard that. I saw it on a news report. I have not yet heard that from the police. Now, if you guys would like to, you can go contact the Broomfield Police Department and you can ask them for whatever information that you feel is pertinent. However, my rights have been violated for the last week and you guys are seriously all up in my bubble and freaking me out. You're seriously giving me a panic attack. Well done, sir. A very direct narrative had so far been laid out. An older man became obsessed with a young woman, and the result was incessant attempts to make contact. When that failed, the man chose to murder her. This storyline was clean and easily deduced. Schwartz threw a wrench in people's peace of mind that he was guilty when he began to explain the parts of Natalie's life that weren't comfortable. People truly wanted to believe this case was open and shut because everyone sleeps better knowing that justice has allegedly been served. While many remained entirely steadfast on his guilt, the seed of doubt was growing. For a while, the crime remained senseless. No explanation, no real understanding. Simply one of those nauseating moments where human vulnerability is so explicitly underlined that our idea of stability is entirely shaken. Facebook remained active in wanting justice for Natalie, and there even still is a group to this day titled Justice for Natalie Bollinger. In the group, they mention the cause of death, a gunshot wound to the head, along with a lethal amount of heroin an aspect of Natalie's life that hadn't been so publicly acknowledged was an issue with substance abuse. Those close to Natalie mentioned that she had been abusing methamphetamine along with heroin, though her consistency or sobriety remained unclear. Along with her suicidal thoughts, Natalie was truly struggling to remain afloat. This may perhaps have been why Schwartz was supposedly so concerned for her well-being. It may even turn out that in all of what occurred, Schwartz saw what no one else did, and tried to take action in his own misguided but potentially well-intentioned manner. For over a year, Schwartz continued to be harassed, until February 
2018. In February of 2018, a bombshell was dropped. A man named Joseph Michael Lopez became the center of attention. Lopez, a 23-year-old, had been contacted by the police as he and Bollinger had exchanged numerous text messages. Lopez's story would send the media into a frenzy as this already complex case would simply evolve into a realm that transcends reality. Lopez claimed that he had met Natalie via an ad on Craigslist. The ad, posted in late December, was allegedly and bluntly titled, I want to put a hit on myself. Lopez then decided to contact her, pretending to be an experienced hitman. From there, the escalation of events was rapid. They began text messaging in order to coordinate when to meet and where. They finally agreed upon meeting on December 28, 2017. Lopez picked up Natalie and they drove around. Lopez claims to have tried to change Natalie's mind. Notwithstanding, he had pretended to be an experienced hitman online, and therefore his motives cannot be taken at face value. While one might optimistically argue that his intention all along was to stop a young woman from ending her life, one might also more cynically think that Lopez simply wanted to take the chance to murder someone. The sheer eerie concept of a young suicidal woman meeting a young man pretending to be a hitman on the internet is quite unparalleled. These defining qualities of both parties make the story akin to a vault with multiple compartments that all need to be accounted for. This is to say, between her suicidal nature and his seeming desire to kill, the parameters that determine fault and intention are volatile. According to Lopez, Natalie wanted to specifically be executed from behind while on her knees. It is significant to note that Lopez did not remain consistent in his account of the way everything unfolded. He initially claimed that he had changed his mind about proceeding with the deed and that he had dropped her off where she allegedly killed herself. Later, he confessed that actually he had shot her. He detailed that he knelt down on the ground and that he knelt down along her left side and slightly in front of her. He added a chilling fact. Before he pulled the trigger, he and Natalie prayed together. Then he shot her and took her belongings with him. Needless to say, this information stunned the public, as some were deeply convinced in Schwartz's guilt, and others had no actual conclusion formed. To find out that a young woman had allegedly hired a man to kill her was likely the farthest possible explanation from anyone's mind. However, as is now a motif in this case, it gets more complicated. There has been debate on whether the Craigslist ad truly existed or whether Lopez had actually made that up in an attempt to save himself some years in prison. Many have thought of Lopez as a predator who chose a vulnerable person who was dealing with suicidal thoughts and drug abuse and capitalized on that. Others, similarly, have claimed that he was a predator in a base way and that he searched for opportunities to kill online, and whichever was perhaps convenient was the one he chose. One certain aspect is that Lopez did not do all he could in order to stop Natalie from carrying out her plan. There was no call to the authorities, there was no further step taken to try to save her, and in this way as well, 
Lopez truly displayed his cruelty. After pleading guilty, Lopez was sentenced to 48 years in prison, meaning he'd be released in his 70s. Natalie's father addressed Lopez directly and said, You took advantage of my daughter. She was vulnerable and drugged. You brutally shot and killed my baby. I asked for an eye for an eye, and you have been protected. The Bollinger family had no say in this. This is a deal with the devil. The devastating reality of this case is that pain was endured so fiercely, Natalie had internal turmoil that may have exceeded her will to live. Schwartz, though flawed, was harassed endlessly for a crime he truly didn't commit, and Natalie's family have to live with what Lopez did. If there is a conclusion to be drawn here, it may truly be about how surreal the internet truly can be. The same place where some might post mundane, everyday updates might be where a hitman is hired. And the scariest part is that they might overlap in a lethal way. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.